So do you remember the first time you realized your family wasn't normal? I grew up in a family where, believe it or not, you weren't allowed to watch PG-13 movies until you were 13. There was one TV. It was in the living room or the family room, and everybody had to share that. And every day we were allowed to watch maybe a 30-minute show like Cheers. Reflecting back, my parents let us watch a show about a bar. I remember we ate dinner together almost every night and there would be like a protein and then a whole bunch of colored things on the plate. This was normal for us. When we moved to Tampa, I remember the first time that I had a sleepover. I went to my friend Kristen's house and I showed up and she said, we're going to watch a movie in my room. She had one of those combos that was the TV with the VCR you can explain that to the kids under 15 in here later, parents, what a VCR is. And then she told me, we're going to eat dinner in my room. Well, dinner was the popcorn and M&Ms that we ate while we watched the movie that she thought would be thrilling Amityville horror. It's a horror movie. And I had nightmares through the night. I didn't sleep much, whether it was because of the, the junk food that I ate at one in the morning or um, the, the movie. But I, you can guarantee when my mom picked me up the next day, I wouldn't dare say a thing because I wanted to be able to sleep out again. But when I got back home, I was so grateful for that normal well, normal is relative, and if there's one thing that I have learned in ministry is that every family has its complicatedness, has its own set of, of what you want to call it, dysfunction, its own set of systems and rules and, and the way that it operates. And so it's no surprise that the families in our Bible have very, very complicated relationships that are going on. Today, we are going to look at the relationships of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and it's pretty messy. Before we read our scripture, I just want to catch you up on what has happened right before we get to our scripture. So about 14 years ago, these brothers lived with their father, and Jacob did something awful. He stole his brother's birthright, his brother's blessing. He stole it twice. He stole two things from him. And this is the story where Jacob covers himself with this woolly garment and goes into his very, very blind father and he steals this birthright, this, which would have been for the oldest child. And since Esau came out first, he was supposed to get it. The scripture tells us that when Esau finds out what his brother does, it reads, he hated his brother and was determined to kill him. This is why Jacob is sent away to his relative's land, to Laban. This is why Jacob has to flee, is because he has lied and deceived and tricked his brother. So Jacob gets to his, his relative's land, Laban. We read about this last week, and, and the, the deceiver is deceived because Laban works for seven years. I mean, Jacob works for Laban for seven years, and then his father-in-law does this bait and switch, and at the last minute, he doesn't get the wife that he is hoping for. He gets Leah, and then he has to work for another seven years. 
So after 14 years, Laban and his sons, they kind of become disgruntled with Jacob. And so Jacob decides that the safest thing is that he and his wives and their midwives and all of the children, that they need to go back to his homeland. You see, Jacob knows what's back home. What's back home is that brother who hates him. What's back home is that brother who probably still wants to kill him. What's back home are those two things that no one in the world likes, conflict and confrontation. What's back home is very complicated. So in order to soften the arrival, Jacob makes a decision. He decides he's going to send a whole bunch of presents in advance of his arrival. And so he sends oxen, and he sends cattle, and he sends all this stuff as gifts. But then when Esau gets it, he says, no, send that back. Actually, I'm going to go meet my brother. And that's where we pick up our scripture today. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Holy and gracious God, speak your truth today. Wherever we are in our family relationships, the places that seem very raw or the places where we are celebrating, I pray that your story from ancient scripture would speak life, would give us courage, would take away our shame. Pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from the book of Genesis. Now Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front. Then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. But Jacob himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and they bowed down. And then Leah, likewise, and her children drew near, and they bowed down. And then finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met Jacob answered to find favor with my Lord. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand, for truly to see you is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and Esau took it. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the most captivating things about these Old Testament stories is how vivid they are. It's like we can picture the scene. 
We picture Jacob on one side of this vast wilderness and he is freaking out with anxiety over about what is about to happen. It's like Harry Potter and his wizarding army waiting for the Death Eaters in Voldemort. Or it is like William Wallace in Braveheart holding the line against the English. Hold, hold. And then Jacob, he, he sees in front of him his, his brother with 400 men. What was he to think? So he sets the women and children out front. Hoping maybe this might draw the mercy of his brother. And then he walks in front of all of them. And as the gap is narrowing between him and his brother and these 400 men, he does something crazy. He begins to bow down. He bows down to show Esau deference. He bows down to show Esau I did wrong. He bows down to show Esau he's sorry. And then the story makes this dramatic turn. All that we had expected to happen. Shouting, rage, fighting, bloodshed. There's no place for any of that in the story. Instead, we see Esau run. Very few people in scripture run. We see Esau meet his brother. We see Esau grab hold of his head and instead of spitting in his face, he puts his head upon his neck and then both of them begin to weep. Just sit with this image for a moment. Two grown men embracing each other, weeping. Consider what did those tears represent. They had to have represented these tears of anger. But somehow these had been turned into tears of relief. The relief that, that one gets when you let go of the energy it takes to hold on to anger. And then there's this tears of anxiety that have been turned into tears of peace that comes when one lets go of the fear that can hold you. And then the tears of hatred turned into tears of love when one forgives as one has been forgiven. We're not told that Esau forgets what his brother did. That's not the lesson from scripture. Esau does not say, oh, I know you didn't mean to. I would have done the same thing. When Esau asks why, brother, did you send so many presents to me? Jacob replies, well, to find favor with you, my Lord. And Esau's first response is to say, no, I have enough. I don't need it. But you see, the scripture models for us that in relationships, it needs to be a two-way street. And, and when Esau accepts this gift, he is offering forgiveness. This gift of acceptance brings the relationship back to a two-way street. Now, I am super aware that when we talk about family and when we hear stories like this, it strikes a chord with some of us. And for many of you, that chord is still really, really raw. And for others, it seems like, oh, I just got a little bit of scar tissue over that. Family relationships are so complicated. 
Some of us have a family member who has cheated, who has deceived, who has abused, who has lied like Jacob did to Esau, but even seven times over. Some of us have said, you know what, I'm done with that relationship. And I have had to set up healthy boundaries in order for my own family to survive and to thrive. And if you have set up those boundaries, well done. Well done. We have to do this sometimes. What I want you to know about this story is that Jacob and Esau do just that. After this story, they set up a healthy boundary and we find out that they choose intentionally not to live in the same land. They choose to live with a boundary, but they still have a relationship because we are told in a couple of chapters from now that when their father is dying, they both go to bury him. This story points to a fact of family systems. They involve conflict, but it's in the rub. It's in the tension that we all know that is when this mysterious process of growth takes place. But y'all, today, I believe the scripture calls us as followers of Christ to do this conflict in our families differently. We have been called to a better way of dealing with conflict. What the story reveals is that we are called to deal with conflict by this one principle. Forgive as God has forgiven you. I'm not sure if you know this, but we actually have a conflict resolution tool here at Westlake Hills Press. It's called Preferred Path, and you can read more about it on our website. I highly recommend it to you. The preferred path to dealing with conflict in your family is to confront it with a tender and a forgiving heart. If a boundary needs to be set up in order to play, to, for peace to exist, then preferred path encourages you to name it. But friends, let's uncomplicate our family relationships this morning. I hope that you have been working on our memory verse that we have been looking at and we will be sharing it again together today. We've kind of been using it as a conversation partner with these Old Testament characters. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians in verse 32 this morning. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgive. The word be kind is a pretty rare word in the New Testament. It's only there seven times, and my favorite use of it is when Jesus uses it. This is what he says in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he says this, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. When Jesus says my yoke is easy, it's the same word as be kind. I'm not sure if you remember what the yoke is. I'm going to show you a picture here. The yoke would have been the wooden crossbeam that oxen put on their shoulders and it guided them as they did their work. And you see, when Jesus says my yoke is easy, He says, when you are with me, when you are plowing through the fields of life, you will be easier. It will be easier for you to do the work. It is easier with me, Jesus says. It is kinder. 
with me. You are going to be plowing through life and when you do it with me, it will be easier. Have you felt like there are relationships in in your family that are complicated where the yoke feels really, really heavy, really burdened, conflict, tense, anxious on your shoulders? We must take ownership of our own behaviors and we must be kind. And the only way for us to live into how to be more kind is to have more time with Jesus, to take his yoke upon us. You see, Esau, in that moment, he had every right to be mean and to be cruel or to at least give his brother a good dose of something that never happens in my family, a good shout. But Esau chose to be kind. Be tenderhearted, Paul tells us. This word is even more rare in the New Testament. It's only used two times, and it literally means someone who has strong bowels. In the Greek, to be connected with your bowels was to be connected to the seat of your heart. You see, someone who is tenderhearted means that they are so very connected to what's going on in their own heart that they cannot help but overflow compassion to another person. You know, so being tenderhearted means when your sister lies to you, You react with compassion because people that lie are covered in shame. When you find out that your father has cheated and gets gets caught, you react with compassion because people who cheat are covered in shame. When you discover that your mother is an alcoholic, you react with compassion because addicts are covered in shame. All of these type of people are desperate for us to react with a tender heart. We know what shame feels like and what it does to us. How much more should we then offer out of the overflow of our heart compassion for another? That is what it means to be tender hearted. Esau could have been really hard hearted. He had the right to be calloused by the numerous ways that his brother had literally changed the course of his life by stealing from him, deliberately deceiving him. But Esau chose to be tenderhearted and then forgive. The Greek word for forgive is karizomai. It's rooted in the Greek word for grace, charis. Notice how the verse says forgive. It doesn't just say forgive one another, period. No, it says forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This past week, one of our staff members shared with me about her own journey with forgiveness. This is what she said. She said, forgiving is giving a gift of kindness to yourself. It costs a lot for you to hold on to stuff costs a lot. Jesus has already paid that cost for us, friends. We don't need to hold on to the ways that others have wronged us, the ways that others have deceived us. You see, notice what's not part of the story. We're not told, why does Esau forgive his brother? We're not told why he does it. And God is so purposeful not to include that in our scripture because we don't need a reason to forgive Except this, 
We forgive because God in Christ has forgiven each of us. How could we not offer it to another? There is no limit to God's forgiveness as there should be no limit to ours. So is my family normal? No. None of ours are. All of us have complicated things going on in our family, but friends, as followers of Jesus, we must do this family thing different. Who is someone in your family that you need to be kinder to? Who is someone in your family that needs your heart to be tender? And who is someone in your family and your life that you need to forgive this day? We're gonna offer you some time to reflect on that right now. And in your bulletin, there's a blank space if you wanna write it down. If not, I just want you to close your eyes and think and make this a time of prayer and reflection to God about who is that person that you need to be kinder to or tenderhearted or forgive this day. Friends, may it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.